This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Chiesi. Do you find yourself juggling multiple websites and clinical tools as you care for your patients? NeoCarePal is a resource providing access to multiple clinical calculators in just one place. To learn more, visit nicuconnections.com backslash NeoCarePal. This is The Incubator, a weekly discussion about new advances in neonatology and the fascinating individuals who make this progress possible. I am Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova-Barbeau. We are neonatal intensive care physicians. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. We are joined with Dr. Hala Shaban. Uh, Hala, how are you today? I'm doing good. Uh, you're the Associate Professor of Pediatrics, and you're the Director of Clinical and Translational Research uh, Section on Neonatal Perineal Medicine. You're an adjunct Associate Professor of Nutritional Sciences at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center at OU Health. You are... Daphna has been telling me, I got to make sure that I plug the Twitter handle oh, of our... Uh, mm-hmm. So you are on Twitter at Shaban with C-H-A-A-B-A-N-M-D. Correct. So um, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, you are talking about um, breaking down the mechanisms of neck, which is probably one of my favorite topics because I still couldn't believe as a fellow when you read the textbooks that one of the first few lines of neck, uh, necrotizing enterocolitis says, the mechanism of neck is still not understood. Yeah. And you're like, seriously? Yes. <laughs> Every single paper we start with, pathogenesis of necrotizing enterocolitis is currently unknown right. or unclear. Yes, you are correct. So you've solved it. Oh, God, no, 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 no. Let me tell you, I was so glad that I started my talk before David Hackham and Stephen McElroy, because those two are definitely solving it. Mm. So, but tell us a little bit about, um, for the, we're, we're doing this podcast for the people who, because of clinical duties, families and other reasons, really are not, don't have the, the, the benefit or the privilege of being here. And so for the people who, who are not here at the conference and who are wondering what exactly were you presenting, can you give us maybe um, some of the takeaway points and some of the highlights of your talk? Right, right, right. So I'm going to talk also a little bit about why we're doing what we're doing. Please. And you're absolutely right. The reason why I started studying neck is because of a baby who passed away mm. when I was a resident. We've had and lots of people tell us that right. these last few days. Yeah. yeah, they just stick with you. It's a guilt, right? It's mm. like you go home, you come back, and you're like, did I miss anything? Did the baby show me some signs that I wasn't necessarily paying attention to. So what we're trying to do right now is neck, fortunately, doesn't happen immediately after birth. Mm. Neck happens at two weeks, three weeks. It is the most common cause of death between two weeks and two months. So that gives us this window of opportunity or critical period of time that perhaps we can intervene, try to understand 
what are the factors that make some babies more protected against neck uh, compared to others. So part of what we're doing is really trying to help enhance nutrition mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, are there some factors that can potentially help prevent neck a little bit more, um, you know, than others. Mm-hmm. So that basically is short version of what we're interested in. Is this in. clinical or animal data or both? Right. Right now we're doing mainly animal work. Mm-hmm. However, part of what we're doing in parallel is the clinical component, which is what are the reasons that certain um, mother's milk doesn't have hyaluronic acid mm-hmm. as much as others? Are there some, you know, generic genetic uh, variability? Is there um, certain morbidities. So we're collecting all this information right now and trying to figure out, is there any infant factors also that plays a role? So we're doing things in parallel in animal models as well as in human milk. Mm-hmm. I love that because it's an interesting way to study a disease, right? Instead of focusing entirely on the babies who are getting neck, what about the babies that don't get neck and what's different about them right. that um, right. pro- um, is protective? Right, right. And I think part of what we need to understand is that, yes, we do have incredible progress with donor milk. Mm -hmm. And I think we're so fortunate in Oklahoma to have the Human Milk Donor Bank. But we also need to understand that there are a lot of factors early on in the first critical window, which is the two weeks uh, after birth, that donor milk doesn't have. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is what we're trying to understand is, yes, human milk and donor milk really is important. But this donor milk is mature milk. It's that's generally right. speaking something that's pumped months later. Can we optimize this a little bit more? And is that why certain babies don't develop neck, not just you know the other factors, the nutritional component that also could be protective? And so you're saying, let's attack this, not from you know the beginning clinical signs, but what can we lay down in those first few weeks of life um, to keep it from developing? Right, right. And this is, again, like, you know, no one wants to see neck ever. Right. But if you, if you work with, if you actually hear the parents talking, they say, we thought we were out of the woods. Right. Everything was going well. We were starting to think about going home and it just happened. So mm-hmm. it's so, such a devastating thing when the initial delivery course and how stressful it is has gone down and it just comes back. Mm-hmm. We, pretty pretty significant so we take it as we have a window of opportunity mm-hmm. during that time if we can understand a little bit more how we can prevent this perhaps we're going to make it mm-hmm. um it's so interesting what you're bringing up especially the, the 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 work you're doing trying to understand the various components of breast milk and so on and i feel like when a baby is admitted to the NICU, right we we measure them we weigh them we take all these right. all these all this information we write it down mm-hmm. And I am wondering if, in your opinion, we'll do the same with the parents' milk, mm-hmm. where we'll take their milk, we'll run it through a battery of tests, and we'll have all this information about what is the composition, more of this, less of that. And then based on that information, we'll be able to make clinical decision right at the time of close to admission, I guess. Right, right. And I wish, I wish we can get there ever. But um, I, I do think that there might be, let me just go back a little bit, is that chronologically we should be giving milk at a diff, at the same stage. Mm-hmm. So when we are in the NICU, we get the fresh milk, which we know, we understand it's very rich in these bioactive components that don't 
go into degradation from the whole freestyle. But perhaps we should be giving moms milk that's supposed to be at a certain week. So, yeah. Because this is the weeks that have a little bit more bioactive components. So not just one-time measurement, but actually throughout the first week of lactation, these active components mm-hmm. start going down. And we tend to give the most recent milk sample. Mm-hmm. I think we just need to go back and give it as it, as nature would have yeah. provided. And, and also maybe be a bit more demanding of the parents because I do this all the time. So like if a, a parent says, oh, I'm going to try to pump and I say, oh, you know, whenever, take your, what, time, take your time, whenever it yeah. comes anyway, we have donor milk that right. we can use in the right. meantime. When in truth, I should be, we should maybe trying to get as much as possible. Obviously, right. if it's not there, it's not there, but right. trying as much as possible to get chronologically appropriate milk. Right. Well, right. I think it's not, it's not about pressuring the family, Absolutely. but giving them yeah. the knowledge, the knowledge, the yes. knowledge yes. and the information to then right. make the right decision if they're able to um saying well I'd, I'd like to do that instead of i think we very commonly offer donor milk as a equivalent mm-hmm. to fresh right. milk and, and you know i think you're absolutely right about the whole pressure part i think you know, we need to understand also what are the barriers that mm-hmm. are there for certain moms not to be able to provide milk. Mm-hmm. i think we need to be able to support the moms as much as we can But also part of the whole supporting moms is this is the best thing we can have. Like this is something we cannot get anywhere else. Right. And donor milk is great, but what, what mom is providing is something that we would never be able to purchase, to be honest with you. So right. amazing, amazing, you know, liquid gold. Yeah. That's right. What we call it. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Celebrating yeah. the milk. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Whatever drops, whatever she brings, we're like, this is great. Baby's going to love it. Yeah, um, it's it's serendipitous that we get to speak to you at the next symposium because we've wanted to speak to you on the podcast and I've always been interested in wanting to ask you this question because you are not from Oklahoma. I am not from Oklahoma. And so I'm wondering <laughs> if you could share a little bit of your path and because I think this is always very inspiring for any immigrant like me <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, to, uh, to to chat with some with, with you. Yeah, so I actually am from Lebanon. And I did my residency, my medical school residency and fellowship in Lebanon. And then I really, really liked research. And the baby who passed away was from Lebanon, who um, was in NEC. And my mentor over there said, like, no one knows why mm-hmm. NEC happens. So like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I came to the United States because I wanted to do a little bit more uh, meaningful research in the lab. And I just couldn't go back because it's not an open, I can't, I couldn't open a lab. Where in Lebanon were you? Um, in the American University of Beirut. In Beirut. Yeah. And that's a stark contrast from Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the people love to party in Lebanon. They really are um, very passionate. The Paris of the Oklahoma. Middle East, they, they called it, huh? They, it used to be. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so... So the reason why we came to Oklahoma is um, the people are amazing and they're very, very nice. I have a wonderful group of people right. I work with. It's been, it's been a blessing. That's awesome. I'm very happy. I think this came up one day. You posted on Twitter a picture of your coffee and I was like, this is not American coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's something along those lines. That's what I recall. So where are you from? I'm from Marseille in France. Oh, lovely. Okay. Yeah. 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 So the Chaban is actually Chaban, French. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would I was almost say Chabon, but anyway. Oh. I, would, I, would, I, would, I, would, I, would. <laughs> um, I love that p- 
part of your story. And I think that's so true for so many clinician scientists who said the answer, like, we don't know is not good enough. And you go and you do the work, even knowing that after decades of work, we're still not much farther than we have been. But it sounds like there's some really exciting work that we are looking forward to reviewing in the next, let's say, Five, five, five to eight years. Now you're applying pressure right there. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, to see what's coming next. Yeah. Well, I I hope that every single one of us here from the next symposium get to to play a very even small role in trying to make a difference. So, um, what what are your thoughts on the fact that? A baby passing away is what drove you to pursue research in neck, and you're coming to a meeting where individual stories are what is almost fueling the entire meeting. It was, to be honest with you, I don't think I learned more from the scientific component in this meeting than from what I heard from the parents. I feel like we all are very proud of what we do medically at the bedside. And we all kind of, again, very proud. But I don't know if we're doing it right. Yeah. Um, one thing that was extremely eye-opening to me, and I said it to one of the moms who shared her story, is we tend to focus on the positive sometimes because we want, we think that we need to give them hope. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, it's like lying. To them. Mm. A lot of the common theme was the doctors didn't believe me or didn't tell me. And I feel that part we need to hear a little bit more. Mm. The fact that they want to hear the truth is really what resonated with me is that our job is to basically let them know what is happening. Yeah. And, you know, it's it just that. That's, that's something that resonated with me as well, yeah. where it's a little bit like uh, they, they want to know what's going on. Right. And it's right. almost like by not being upfront with them, you're like the tour guide who doesn't tell the group we're lost. Yeah, <laughs> and right, so right, right, right. it's like we've been going in circles and you're telling me I know where I'm going. And right. I think knowing that the parents are open about this and they say we, we, we are going to go through this with you, clinical team, yeah. just, just be upfront with us. I think that's very enlightening. And I think so on the same token um, that Parents want to know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And when we right. when we say, you know, we have, your baby has this, there's some things we know about it, there's some things we don't know. Right. It sounds like they, they want to know. Yeah. Um, you're here presenting at the next symposium, but not only are you here as a presenter, you are actually part of the Next Society's Scientific Advisory Council. So just tell us a little bit more about your involvement with the group. It's intimidating, let me tell you. <laughs> It's really That's how we felt all, all week so far. <laughs> so they're an amazing group of um, physicians and scientists. I think um, Jen and the two Aaron's have done a phenomenal mm-hmm. job leading a lot of the conversations. Mm-hmm. Very inclusive. Every single member of the scientific advisory team is extremely inclusive, very open to everything. Um, it's a friendly bunch. Certainly. <laughs> extremely <That's> friendly, <laughs> extremely friendly, very, very bright. And each one of them actually brings in a good aspect from neck or patient perspective or advocacy, neurodevelopment, um, you know, literally every single thing you can mm-hmm. think. There's a group of surgeons, neonatologists, epidemiology. Yeah, it's, it's almost like a sports team. You know, everyone has That's their one. position. That's right. It. Right. And, um, 
We meet monthly on Fridays, mm. and that's a real um, commitment. Yeah, month. Yeah, it's been amazing though. The amount of work that is put through the whole month it's it's just amazing. Jen is doing it. Jen and Aaron are doing a phenomenal mm-hmm. job. Phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for dropping by. Thank you. So we'll much see you around at the conference. Thank you for listening to The Incubator. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of The Incubator and new shows from The Incubator Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nikupodcast at gmail.com, or by visiting our website, www.the dash incubator.org you can also message the show on instagram or x formerly known as twitter at nikki podcast thanks again for listening and see you next time this podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice if you have any medical concerns please see your primary care practitioner thank you